Do you think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. Many people venturing into classical music often avoid composers who might have a reputation for being inaccessible. This is perfectly reasonable, but the adage to never judge a book by its cover might just as easily apply to a CD or an LP, if you've still got any of either of those, or for that matter, even know what they are. I've certainly been guilty of prejudging music from the name of the composer alone, probably as a result of just one bad experience, but have, thankfully, had my hasty prejudice frequently overturned when pointed elsewhere. Before the pandemic, for example, I attended a concert given by the Belcher Quartet, in which they performed Shostakovich's 15th and final string quartet. Had I so much as overheard it on the radio, there's absolutely no doubt that I would have turned it off in an instant. But to listen to, and indeed to watch it being played in the flesh, was an extraordinary experience. Dmitry Shostakovich, who lived between 1906 and 1975, had a complicated personality, and few composers explored quite as many different styles, old and new, as he. Whilst being obsessed with cleanliness, he was also a heavy smoker, and generally of a nervous disposition. But he had a life away from music as well. He was something of a football nut, and was even a qualified referee. If you're more prone to tuneful harmonies than experimental forays, it's easy to see why the mention of his name alone might put you off if your first experience was to be exposed to something similar to the 15th string quartet, of which there was no shortage. But composing in a Stalin-led regime was a tricky balancing act. He was expected to provide propaganda in an upbeat manner, which was wholly at odds with his instincts to deliver melancholy. His work is full of despair, but he knew which side his bread was buttered too, so crowd pleasers were required to stay in favour. The short of it, however, is that he spent his entire life wrestling with this conflict, and ultimately veered more on the side of the inconsolable. Amongst his extensive and varied repertoire is a substantial film score output, 36 in all, and his work for The Gadfly, later also used in Riley Ace of Spies, must surely include one of the most delightful melodies ever written. So we're going to start today with a charming lighter music that he could produce in the romance of that suite, which is by no means limited to this. you just got to dig a little. Many famous violinists have recorded it, but most seem to have a slight tendency to take it just a little bit too fast. Not so in this recording by Jonathan Carney, using a Stradivarius violin with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It's a really fine rendition, starting with a melody, then dipping briefly into a passage of orchestral doubt in the minor key, before returning triumphantly and peacefully to the original theme. Shostakovich once said, In the long run, any words about music are less important than the music. I think that's my cue. Thank you. 
Linking Shostakovich with the Italian Baroque composer Domenico Scarlatti might on the face of it seem a bit of a stretch, but Shostakovich did apply some of Scarlatti's repetitive devices in his symphonies, so it's a good excuse to play some of Scarlatti's music. His dates of 1685 to 1757 make him a near-exact contemporary of the great man himself, Johann Sebastian Bach, although there's no concrete evidence that Bach had even heard of the Italian. Not much is known of Domenico, one of ten children and the son of a musician, so we don't need to tarry on biographical details. He is now most famous for having composed over 500 sonatas for the harpsichord. That's a fair amount, so unsurprisingly many of them last only a few minutes, and all of them in one continuous movement, unlike their classical equivalents of 50 to 100 years later. So there's no need for you to be concerned at the prospect of me playing an entire sonata by Scarlatti for it lasts barely three minutes. Well, not me of course, but the Argentinian Marta Argerich, born in 1941 and one of the greatest pianists alive today. She performs live only rarely these days and in truth has always been something of a recluse, despite her tempestuous and colourful life. But what a gift in absolutely everything she touches. Here is the sonata K141, which I've seen and heard her play as an encore on more than one occasion, which is what she's doing here, following it for good measure with a Bach partita BWV 826. The Scarlatti is three minutes of outrageous virtuosity, with repeated notes and frequent crossovers of her hands, at a pace which actually succeeds in bringing out the different discussions in the piece far better than any I've heard taken at nearly half the speed. When you consider that this is a live performance, it's astonishing that there isn't a single duff note. And the bark which follows it is more than just unbelievable technique. There's lots of colour and contrast at play here too. It's hard not to marvel at these, and I hope they'll be new to many of you.
Whilst we're on the Baroque and in the context of encores, I can't resist sharing these few minutes of fun. So without the slightest shame, in fact with enormous pride, I'm now going to play a couple of songs written by my great uncle, Victor Healy Hutchinson. Many of you will be familiar with his carol symphony, but he wrote plenty of other lovely stuff as well, which is underrated. I suppose I would say that, wouldn't I? But Victor was a child prodigy. He could play all the 32 Beethoven piano sonatas by heart, played Beethoven's fourth piano concerto at the proms, and became an accomplished conductor in Birmingham with the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, in whose foundation and very survival he played a pivotal role, and later a broadcaster with the BBC in London, before going on to become its director of music and a co-founder of its third programme, or what we now call Radio 3. As head of music in the department, he did not feel he could indulge in the luxury of his office radiator when everyone else was having to cut back in a particularly cruel winter in 1946-7. He contracted pneumonia and died at just 47. Everything I've read about him makes me wish I'd known him. The words of both songs are well known. Old Mother Hubbard is often sung as an encore, as it is here by countertenor David Daniels in a live concert in 1996. Victor wrote this in the style of Handel when he was about 12 years old. Old Mother Hubbard sets off on her mission full of optimism, but as she approaches her destination, Victor makes it very clear in the music that a foreboding outcome awaits. It's just a bit of fun, but it's clever fun. The second, The Owl and the Pussycat, is also a live performance sung by Mark Padmore and Roderick Williams with Julius Drake at the piano. This is a lovely blending of two of the great voices around today. You can tell that the dramatis personae are in a boat from the very first lilting chords on the piano. Again, it's just a bit of fun, but it's charming and perceptive. Old Mother Hubbard, <laughs> she went 
that went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are, you are, you are, what a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, you elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married too long, we have tarried, but what shall we do for a ring? They sail away for a year and a day to the land where the palm tree grows. And there in a wood a piggy wig stood with a ring at the end of his nose, his nose, his nose, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were married next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on meats and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon. The moon, the moon. They, they danced by the light of the moon. Enough of this frivolity, I hear you say. We started with the violin, and that's how I'd like to conclude today's podcast, with a final movement of my second favourite violin concerto by Jean Sibelius. My favourite is Beethoven's, but we've played a fair amount of his music and we've not heard any Sibelius. A Polonaise for Polar Bears is how the legendary music writer Sir Donald Tovey, who lived between 1875 and 1940, described this final movement of Sibelius's only concerto for solo instrument and orchestra. Sibelius had himself always aspired to becoming a virtuoso violinist, but it just never happened that way, probably because he wasn't fortunate enough to have access to good enough teachers in the countryside an excuse my children would doubtless lay at my door one day. Nowadays, Sibelius is best known for works such as Finlandia and the Karelia Suite, the former virtually becoming a national anthem for that country, as well as his seven symphonies, the fifth of which is highly popular. But all of them are characterised by broad, sweeping themes, often beginning with a brief melody and building up to fabulous final moments. And we'll delve into those in future podcasts. The average temperature in Finland at the time Sibelius was born was just 4 degrees Celsius and minus 17 on the day of his birth in December. The countryside was a fairly bleak place in which to live and it can't have been easy for the young boy who was brought up by an early widowed mother, her mother and two aunts. Throw in the enormous political difficulties with Russia at the time and you have a dire context for survival. To cap it all, his marriage later produced five daughters. All completely delightful, I'm sure, but there's a conspicuous lack of male company here, which may account for his partiality to cigars and vodka for much of his life. 
There's definitely a cold darkness to be found in some of his music, especially his fourth symphony, which is plain grim in its mood for specific reasons, but the opposite is generally more true. And Sibelius was enormously popular in England and the US, reaping the financial benefits of the recent invention of recording. This concerto did not have an auspicious debut. Sibelius had to revise it because it was just far too difficult, and it was much better received when Richard Strauss conducted the revision in 1905. That it remains difficult is not hard to see, especially in this final movement where the soloist is kept busy pretty much the whole way through. The score is marked Allegro Manantropo, which means quick but not too much, so interpretations tend to vary enormously. The nickname which Tovig ascribed it is perfect. Right from its opening seconds there is this menacing beat, while the solo violin dances relentlessly above the orchestra, building to an exquisite moment a couple of minutes in, which is later repeated, so stick with it. Interestingly, the word allegro has a more general meaning in English, closer to good-humoured or high spirits, and some soloists have a tendency to attack this movement too heavily. The result can be harsh, even brash, and worst of all, the dancing and melody are sacrificed. Here is Itzhak Perlman with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and Andre Previn. The closing bars are wonderful. Listen out for how Sibelius has the violin soaring up while bringing the orchestra crashing down. It's an exuberant account. By the way, although Sibelius had numerous operations to clear up a throat tumour, cigars and vodka obviously didn't harm him too much in the long term. At the time of his birth, the life expectancy in that cruel climate was barely 36. Sibelius died at 91.
That's it for now. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch with Nick Healy Hutchinson. He'll be back again next week with some more treasures for you. So please do join him then. And you can subscribe to this podcast by clicking on the link below.